Hello and welcome to The Best Show. I am Jason Gore. Tom is away for the next few weeks, so we'll be putting up some pre-records for you. And tonight, it is the Little Stephen edition of Best Show Book Club uh, that you've already heard on the Patreon, if you subscribe to the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash thebestshow. And uh, it's a fantastic conversation about Little Stephen's book, Unrequited Infatuations. Also, speaking of the Patreon, if you are subscribed to to the Patreon currently, make sure you go in and update your address. Make sure your address is updated in the Best Show Patreon because all Patreon subscribers, $5 and above, are going to get the brand new Best Show sticker. I saw it last week. It looks amazing. Uh, So make sure your address is updated in there. And also make sure you go over to patreon.com slash the best show to support the show if you haven't done so already. We've got some Really, really cool stuff coming up very, very soon, including the final episode of So Far, uh, Meet My Friends, The Friends, and a bunch of other stuff. So right now, here it is, Best Show Book Club, Stephen Van Sant. Yeah, we're doing, uh, this is the Best Show Book Club and our book that we've all been excited about and we've all read and uh, all loved is uh, Unrequited Infatuations which is by uh, a New Jersey legend and even more than New Jersey legend at this point, an international superstar. I think we can round up and say the worldwide. Uh, We got Stevie Van Zandt. Thanks for doing. And then we have the author himself here. This is so exciting. How are you? Good to be here, my friend. Oh, this is great. You, uh, you for first of all, I guess we could start right off at the top of the book. It's Stevie Van Zant. There's but you what what makes Stevie versus Steven versus Little Steven versus Miami Steve? We've moved through the we're moving down the continuum here of name changes. Where are we going to end up? I'm sure there'll be a few more too before we're done. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It depends on what mood I'm in that day, you know. Uh huh. It it made me think of how. Uh, uh, Mike, Mike Nesmith, he, he said, uh, that he's like, well, when I'm talking about the monkeys, you can call me Mike. That's Mike Nesmith. Anything else I did, that's Michael. Like he had, <laughs> he had hard lines on it. Just like when it's the monkeys, I'm Mike Nesmith. Don't call me Mike. If you're talking about the first national band though, that was Michael Nesmith. So it's good. To, um, it's good, it's good. It's good to compartmentalize, you know? Especially uh, when you're as schizophrenic as I am, you know, <laughs> who, uh, I got about 12 different personalities at least. So it's, it's good to you know, kind of keep track of them with, you know, different names. Yeah. So Stevie wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in a Stevie mood lately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we could start. What, what made you finally, uh, determine at this point in time that it was time to tell the whole story. I think certainly a uh, circumstance uh, had everything to do with it. I, I don't know if it ever would have gotten done if not for a uh, quarantine. So uh, in the book, I uh, thank Mr. Trump for that. Um, and um uh, I think also the last three years of my of, of, of the non-quarantine years, uh, 17, 18, 19, were the most productive of my entire life. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really, really helped because I got reconnected to my life's work, which um, I had kind of abandoned uh, for 30 years in my, my music life and um, got connected to it by accident, which is, you know, what most of my life is. And, um, and, and ended up having a very, very productive uh, three years, you know, six album packages uh, got released, two brand new albums, mm-hmm. Soul Fire and Summer of Sorcery, and um, two world tours. And, you know, it just kind of felt like a bit of, a bit of closure, you know, um, you know, because that could very well be my, you know, last tour, last record, who, who knows, you know, every day, you know, you never know. Uh, and if that is the case, um, it kind of ended on a on a very very positive note. So so I felt um, I felt enough closure to to write a, a, a book and have a beginning, middle, and end, you know, of some kind, mm-hmm. at least for this chapter of my life, you know, which is the most, you know, you know, I'm, st- I'm still I'm still hoping for a big fourth quarter, but you know, we're uh, yeah, no, you got to still more, you got still a few more rounds. <laughs> Still more rounds to go. You're this is. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna sign off on this final tour uh, talk. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, so that was it. And I, you know, I just just got uh, new managers. I never had a manager in my whole life, and I, and I just just got two, uh, and uh, and they uh, and, and they were very encouraging about about writing the book. So the combination of those things just uh, felt it was time to do it, especially since uh, while well, I can still remember something, you know, I, I probably, yeah, I probably only a, remember about 30%, you know, look, 30, but, uh, 30 is high enough, uh, high enough percentage. You fill in the other 70 for however that fits uh, where you're at that day. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Now, one of the things I, I want to ask you about the the manager thing, which is a thread that does run through the book that you, it just, and it just speaks to who you are ultimately is that you're someone who you know how you want it to be. And it seems like it's hard to have that letting go to just have a, a true partner who can say like, I got this and you can just exhale, let them run with the ball it seems like you need to have your hands on the wheel for whatever it is you're doing. And that comes through in so much of the book. It's got, it's, it seems like you trust yourself above everybody else. Yeah. Um, cer- certainly that that's, uh, that's true. Uh, I don't know about need need so much uh, because I don't, I don't like it. You know, I don't like doing it. I, I don't like uh, having that particular ability and i greatly regret not having a manager in my whole life uh, oh it doesn't mean you don't doesn't mean you like it you but you just it's that's the compulsion and i understand that too i have to do everything everything i have to if i don't touch it it it's it's still not right until i i get my mitts on it yeah and i i you know everybody's different you know and my my ego does not work um the way of I've seen other people who, you know, they just, they want to be involved uh, and they want their, their uh, imprint on it, whether it needs it or not. Mm-hmm. Well, you that's know, a whole I'm other really, thing. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not that guy, you know, if I could just, you know, if I could just sit there and, and let, and let the world happen, believe me, I would love it because 
my focus needs to be on the create creative side of things, you know? So if the business could just work without me, believe me, you know, I, I would love it. But um, the problem is in most cases, you know, in the past I've gotten a better deal than anybody else could have gotten, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of reasons for that, you know, uh, sometimes um, the companies or the, whoever you're dealing, whoever you're doing business with, are a little bit more reluctant to say no to the artist, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I've, I've noticed that. And, um, and also I happen to be very good at it. Okay. And, uh, I, I can, I can usually, um, you know, get the best deal of that situation, you know, mm-hmm. now having said that, of course, my, my business life has been completely chaotic because, uh, because I didn't, I wasn't playing along the, the artist in me was not playing along with the businessman, you know, sure, sure. Um, it's a, you got to keep changing hats. Yeah. And not only that, but you know, in the end, when you look at the book, my life is a, is it, is the triumph of art over commerce, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's yeah. not, it's supposed to work with it, you know, art and commerce, we're, we're supposed to find a way for those things to be married in order to be successful. And I think that is true. In my case, that's just not, you know, not what happened. Uh, and I end up, I end up doing whatever art I have done, you know, whatever work I have done has been in spite of the business mm-hmm. in a way, you know, and, uh, and like I say, a, a crazy triumph of, of, of managing to survive all this time and do world tours and put out seven albums without a single hit. You know, which is a dubious achievement at best, but that's a fact. You know, and and um, that's just the way it turned out. Sure, sure, and it's it, but it is the thing that you you see the artistic side of it, and you I, did you feel you had to kind of did you feel you had an innate sense of the business side of it in you that was ready to come out, or is that something you had to like really learn and and develop over time? No, it was just a defense, you know, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't ever, you know, I don't, I don't see myself as uncommercial, you know, you know what I mean? I don't really see myself as doing something that's so wildly off the commercial beaten path. Uh, I mean, when I, when I was doing these things, looking back on it now, I mean, it's very, it's very clear that what I'm doing, what, I, what I'm doing artistically is just in its own world. I mean, um, there is no relationship really between what I've been doing and, and, and the commercial world. not unless you, you know, you go into a time machine, you know, I mean, it, right. it would have, it would have been commercial, you know, 40, 50 years ago, mm-hmm. maybe, but, but, um, and, and that's just the stuff, that's just the stuff I like, you know, so you, you end up doing what you, what you love mm-hmm. and you hope, um, hope you can find that common ground. You know, you hope you can find the common ground between what you're doing uh, artistically and what is commercial. I mean, hmm. you know, I mean, um, we are yeah. in a world now. It's funny. We are in a world though. There are, there are the ups and downs of that, where it's like, it's not a world where it's just three channels anymore, either like that. There's a middle class now for things that might not be able to work on the biggest stage, but there, but it's not like all or nothing anymore. It's like, you can find mm-hmm. your, you find your stream and you can exist you might not be the world's biggest thing, but at least there's a home for a lot more things now. I I feel. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really find that to be true in a sense of making a living. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's worse than ever. Uh, it's 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 you know, 
you're super big or you don't exist. I think in terms of, in terms of actually making a living at it, you know, mm-hmm. now what you're talking about in terms of middle ground, I mean, you can get, you can, you can uh, write a song and, and record it and put it out yourself, you know, uh, you know, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot, there's, there's more music than ever has, has ever existed right now. Yeah. Um, but the marketing rules don't change, mm-hmm. you know, there's more music than ever, but how do you find it or who finds it? Mm-hmm. And, and when they find it, are they paying for it? Probably not. You know, so, so, you know, you, you can get your work uh, out there, you know, in, in that sense of being middle ground, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to depend on a big record company or managers or lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, you can get that done. Who's going to hear it? Uh, who's going to buy it? Is that going to allow you to make a living from it? Probably not. So, so, at least you can exist though in the world. And it's not just like the gatekeepers can't say no. And then you go home true. and don't do your thing. You can true, at least do your true. thing and you at least you get a swing to see how, how far you can go with it. True. Um, but along with the gatekeepers, it's, you know, it's not, that's not all negative. There is a certain, you know, curation process. There's a certain uh, development process mm-hmm. that should go. And I go into great detail about this in the book. Absolutely. That should go, you know, that should go along with your creation of content. You know, mm-hmm. um, in the old days, uh, and, and I would argue to some extent still, it takes an army to make a great record. And, mm-hmm. and um, yes, uh, technically, technologically, uh, that's no longer necessary. You can make a record all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be as good as it, if you do it with a great producer and a great arranger and a great band? I don't think so. No, you know? well, of course, of course, no, those are, look, that stuff is, that's undeniable that, but it, um, no, when you say it, it's tough, it's, it's, it's still tough. It's, it's, it's still tough. And look, I'm, I'm out there grinding still too. So it's, um, <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, what am I? What am I chasing here? How do you feel that you're in, how do you hold on to those enthusiasms? So those, those unrequited infatuations. And also I should say with the title, um, I heard a, when I was at the bookstore, a guy said on, he's like, Oh, is that's unrequited infatuations. And I was, and it was just like, well, like as you <laughs> gave somebody, gave somebody a chance to go back to the dictionary and uh, learn a new word. <laughs> maybe so but i mean it, you know i i wanted the, the book to be more than just uh, a music book for music people um mm-hmm. the first half of the book is pretty much that you know a local kid from new jersey makes it to the top of rock and roll and that's great that's a great story you yeah. know but it gets a little bit more interesting second half when i leave the band and now um, you are staring into the abyss and um, it becomes, you know, the bigger themes start to emerge uh, such as, um, you know, the search for identity, the search for, uh, you know, um, purpose, uh, the search for spiritual enlightenment of some kind of, of, of searching for that connection to the world, uh, which uh, I think most people go through sooner or later. And, um, and, and the truth is, as, as successful as I have been with, um, with Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band and, and, uh, 
and uh, Sopranos and, and Lilyhammer and, and the Sun City Project. Um, um, the, the work that really has meant the most to me personally um, has not been successful, you know. So, so there is that, you know, that unrequited infatuation sense of sometimes the things you love the most uh, don't love you back, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know so I think, and I think that's something that's true for everybody. You know what I mean? I, I wanted to emphasize the things that are true for everybody, you know, not just music people. And I think that everybody in their life um, ends up hitting that wall at some point or, or getting disappointed. And, the, and their first plan, you know, their life doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and what I wanted to emphasize was, you know, uh, I, when I left the band, I, my life was over. I thought my life was over. Okay. Uh, I wasn't just changing jobs. My life ended. Okay. And yeah. yet everything I've accomplished, I've accomplished since then. So the point being, when you think it's over, if you can find a way to keep going somehow and just move forward, no matter how slowly, no matter how disappointed you might be, mm-hmm. if you can find a way to move forward. Destiny uh, uh, is going to surprise you. And, yeah. And, you, you, I mean, it, look, it's easy to say when it wasn't my life, you went through, you actually went through it for, but it's like you, you, can make a case that you would clearly not be the person that you are if you had not made that leap into the abyss. Like you need, it seems like you needed to go into the abyss, but for good, bad, whatever, it's a, it's a road you needed to go down for you to come out the other side and, and realize who you were and what you wanted to do and the, and, and open yourself up to all these new opportunities. Yeah, and I think that search continues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, frankly, because um, I never really did come out the other side. You know, I'm still looking for a steady job. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, oh. so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's not, it's all, all is not what it, what, uh-huh. it, what it seems, but, but I didn't, it wasn't like I, I, I wanted to jump into this adventure. It was just something I, I did. I compulsively, you know, I was, I was obsessed um, with politics at the time. And, and, you know, and it, and it kind of led me into this crazy adventure. You know, it wasn't something I planned in, in other words. So, sure, but, but, it, but there something must've been itching in the back of your head, even unconsciously to, to just push you down a different Cause you could have been, you could have been Miami Steve, until the end of time and played that yeah. role. And that would have been that. And you would have been very happy and very rich. Absolutely. Yes. But it's like, <laughs> but, 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 uh, <laughs> but look at the, look at the, look, you're rich in so many ways that it's, 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 um, yeah, no, through, no, through, I, I don't, through I, I your don't thumbprint re- on the world is, 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 is that's not nothing. I don't regret it. I mean, I, I, the, the nice thing about writing the book was, was going back, and really reliving those days, you know, because I don't look back. I really don't. Mm-hmm. So I had to really force myself to, you know, transport myself back there. And I think in the back of my head, all these years, I've always thought, you know, if only I could have stayed in the band and still done these things, you know, mm-hmm. and still done Sopranos and Lilyhammer and the Sun City Project. And, you know, and when you go back and relive it, really, you realize it's ridiculous. 
There's no, you there's can't no do way. both. No, no, you can't be two people. No. You'd have to be two people at once. Yeah. And you know, can you imagine, you know, going to uh, your friend, Bruce Springsteen saying, listen, by the way, I want to try being an actor for six months. You know, would, would you mind, you know, putting the band on hold? You know, just, yeah. you know yeah. take a vacation while I see if I if I can be an actor or not. You know, so you know, so I mean, those things would just, would not have happened. And I don't know what would have happened, but 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 certainly those things would not have happened. So yeah, so it's I, like, I kind of you got to pull like, the net. The safety net has to go away at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, you know, whether it's comfortable or not sometimes. And and in this case, like I said, it wasn't really a choice. I just, I mm-hmm. had to do what I did. And so you look back now and uh, I feel a little better about it, to be honest. You know what I mean? I felt, I felt like a burden was lifted from me all these years of having guilt, you know, guilt, guilt about, about leaving when I did, you know? So, uh, you know, the book, the book served a nice, a good purpose for me too. Mm-hmm. And also, I should say to Jason, Pat, and Mike, you can yeah. ask questions if, if you know. Well, I just by, want, by all means. Yeah, I just want to hop in real quick. Um, you, the the one thing I loved about the book is there's just a, there's so much sage wisdom throughout it that just that just resonates with me in terms of just you know how to live your life um, in in the in the best way possible. And I don't know if you 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 probably don't remember this, or maybe you do remember this. Um, I met you backstage in two thousand three in uh richmond uh my radio station that i was working for at the time was 105.3 the bear they were one of the first affiliates for underground garage oh nice and i interviewed you on the on that stage on that station we talked a lot about like the beatles and the time uh you guys did the uh joe strummer tribute on the grammys um but backstage one thing you said to us that has stuck with me as a comedian and just as a performer in general um is my friend asked you, you were, you had done so many signings, you were hanging out with us backstage and you're getting ready to go up on stage. And my friend asked you the question. He said, you know, uh, you know, Steven, you're doing all this backstage. You're, you're giving so much energy and spending so much time with all of us. Um, don't you feel tired? And you stopped him in his tracks. And I remember this moment. It's like the air was sucked out of the room. You stopped him in his tracks and he's, and you said, tired, there is no tired. The stage is a sanctuary. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here, too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. And I think of that every time I hit the stage as a comedian now, it's like, he's right. He's right. The stage is a sanctuary. There's no reason to be tired out there. And I actually take that sort of wisdom and, and live it through my life in terms of just being like grateful and doing the thing every day. And is that, is that still like when you hit the stage today and you know, is, is it still the sanctuary to you? Yeah. You know, it's funny because people say to you, you know, are you going to go on tour or, you know, that's, you know, that's a lot of work, you know, yeah. and, and I, and I say to them, you don't understand. 
my work begins when I leave the stage. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> On stage, man, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> you know? I'm I'm in my protective, you know, my womb, my my, you know, my little bubble there. And uh, there's no, you know, safer or better place to be than on stage mm -hmm. with the E Street Band, you know, and which is an advantage uh, us band guys have over you comedians. Which, oh, completely. Uh, you know, you know, well, I don't know how you do it. Believe me, I, <laughs> I have nothing, nothing but respect for what you do. Um, but, but, you know. If it's not going well for a band, you can always just turn it up a little louder and <laughs> hide behind that. You can't do that when yeah. you're doing, just talking. No. Yeah, but you also got, you know, the other guys, you know, to, to you know, to commiserate with if something's mm -hmm. going wrong or, right, or yeah. you know, or, 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 or to celebrate with when things are going right, you know. So yeah. it's, you know, I've been a band guy in my, my whole life. But but anyway, that, that still holds true. That's I think, you know, being on stage, you know, once you do things for a long time and you really become comfortable with it, you know, um, any place where I don't have to think, you know, I just, I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. I, it's, it's literally a mental vacation for me and, and pure energy, uh, an energy exchange with an audience like that. You know, you can't get it anywhere else. We've all missed that for the last two years, oh, Lord, you know, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? You can't, you can't substitute for that. And, uh, and, and, you know, you, you're out, you're out there. And, and, um, for me, that's the reward, you know, the, the performer part of my life, you know, I, I, I hate to sound, you know, ungrateful about it because, you know, believe me, I get the two greatest jobs in the world, a rock star and an actor, you know. Uh, but those two jobs are, you know, that's the vacation part of my work. I, that's not, I don't even consider that really my my most intense work. You know, that's, I'm a writer producer, you know. I'm all about creativity and that's the work. And that's where you got to dig down and you got to think and you got to research and you got to do all this stuff. You know, the performance part, you know, whether I'm acting or, or whether I'm on stage with a band, you know, that's just nothing but fun. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, and I and, and I look at it that way, and that's why uh, I've always done something else. You know, it, I, I've always since I first got on stage. You know, I've always done something else because I need to do something else to be satisfied uh, and feel like I am in some way realizing my potential. You know, which I think is the purpose for all of us on this planet. You know, you got to find some ways of realizing your your potential, whatever it might be, you know, mm -hmm. and it's never going to be just performing for me because um, it, it's not enough for me. Some people, some people it is. And, and, and God bless. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting it down in any way. Uh, but but for me, it's just I need I need I need the writing and the creation and the mm -hmm. producing, you know, and I just love the fact that I've been able to produce radio, produce TV, produce a Broadway show, you know, you know, I, I produce a lot of different things and, and, and uh, create a lot of different things and write a lot of different things. And, uh, and that's satisfying for me. That's, that's, you know, that just feels more sat satisfying. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a spirit throughout the book that I guess maybe anybody who's grew up in New Jersey or lived in New Jersey can kind of relate to where you're kind of like, because from my perspective, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. You look up and you got New York. You look down and you got Philadelphia. And both of them think they're better than you. 
And so you're kind of like sandwiched between these two places where they don't, where both think that you're just the, you're, you're just this garbage in the middle. But that also, I feel like gave a chance to like learn stuff off the grid to just like get good at stuff without everybody looking at you. Cause you're not well, in New York yet or big. you're not in Philadelphia. It's a huge big, part big. of it. Big. but it also helps to have just this chip on your shoulder too, that you're like, <laughs> like, like you, I know you guys are looking down at me and that spirit, I think runs through the book. And I, I, I think it's a New Jersey thing. And I, to me, when you go in the studio, there's, there's like, and you just kind of dictate how the horn part should go in 10th Avenue freeze out. And you'd only been in the studio, what, one other time at that point <laughs> in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So you go in, but like that, like that to me is the most Jersey thing I could think of is somebody going and saying like, no, it should be like this. And you're telling the Brecker brothers how it should go, but you're well, just like, what, it, where's that come from? Well, it comes from stupidity, of course. <laughs> well, that's New Jersey also then. That's, <laughs> it, comes yeah. from, it comes from being completely naive yeah. and stupid and not realizing, you know, that you're in a studio and, and uh, what you say really matters and you're mm -hmm. dealing with the greatest horn players in New York. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a little bit of naivete, you know, goes a long way. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're right about us, the underdog thing. I mean, we, we definitely have that underdog thing. And the nice thing for me is, you know, nobody ever sees us coming, you know? I mean, that's how we got away with Sun City. Nobody saw us coming. You know, what the hell are these guys going to do about South Africa, you know? Uh, and, and we just kind of, you know, and that's been, that's been the case with really all of our success, really. It was the same thing with Bruce, same thing with the Jukes. Mm -hmm. You know, we just kind of, um, as you say, uh, you, you develop kind of out of the spotlight. Mm -hmm. which is very, very helpful, man. Very helpful, you know, and development is, is what it's all about, which is why I really am concerned about uh, the younger generation. Uh, I don't know how on earth they can focus on anything long enough to achieve greatness. It's a big, big problem, you know, because it is all about development. Mm -hmm. Nobody's born great. Nobody, you know, greatness is developed and, and it's developed over time. It takes time. Uh, and there's no shortcuts, you know, and, and man, with the amount of shit coming at kids these days, I don't know how they're going to ever focus on something long enough to achieve that greatness. It's a, it's a real challenge. I think for, for kids now. Yeah. Uh, Steven, this is Mike. I'm a Hi, Mike. Jersey longtime fan and a resident of New Jersey as well. Uh, I enjoyed reading about the uh, teach rock program. Um, I'm a product of public schools in New Jersey and the music programs that I went through were sort of barely there. Um, I got in trouble one time. I was sent to detention for playing the rhythm sticks. Those rhythm sticks were calling my name and I started banging away. Next thing I know, I got detention. <laughs> so I appreciate what you're doing to, you know, have a substantial program for music because it wasn't really there. Well, it, it, it's music history, you know. I mean, yeah. that, that's how that's how we got away with it because the um, all, all the music classes in America got canceled because of the No Child Left Behind legislation. So when the music teachers came to me and said, "What can we do about this?" I I, I went in. I went to Washington and and, uh, and I asked around and and I came back to them. I said, 
I'm, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do about this. Okay. Uh, kids may never have instruments in the classroom again. Uh, because when Washington screws something up, they don't fix it very quickly. So we'll have to find other ways to do that. And we have uh, with, um, you know, little kids rock and, and, and different things. But I decided let's, let's, let's do something again and sneak in the side door so they, so they don't see us coming mm-hmm. with a music history curriculum. And this is something that we can do cross-curricular. We can do it in history class, English class, music class, you know, all different disciplines. And we can do it with all, all, every student. It doesn't have to be musicians. So it's even better in a way. And the purpose being, you know, to keep the arts in the DNA of the public education system, which uh, was in great danger of being eradicated. Um, I mean, it was. It was eradicated, you know. And, 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 uh, and I'm like, more important than a kid playing an instrument is a kid being aware of art and being able to... Uh, experience art in all of its forms, you know, Uh, because I believe that that is something that works on a different part of the brain and and, and also really helps the other disciplines. So our, 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 um, our mission became not just something that's an after school special or something on the side. Our purpose is to integrate the arts into those disciplines, Mm -hmm. you know, integrate art into science, into math, into technology, into engineering, and turn, you know, the, the, the basic system of STEM, you know, science, tech, technology, engineering, math, into STEAM, adding the A of STEAM, you know, and, and, to, and, and, that's, and that's what we've been doing. And, and, um, and um, it, it really helps kids get comfortable because um, they're not all comfortable with the uh, really uh, specific uh, precision of math or science, you know, they want to be a little bit more comfortable with that stuff. So the arts really helps that because there's no wrong answers in the arts, first of all, you know, and and second of all, it helps connect dots. You know, the way we, the way we do it with our curriculum, it really helps connect the dots and, uh, and achieves the most important goal, I think, which is to teach kids how to think, not what to think, you know, and I think that's, what's going to be important in the future. So, um, yeah, we just got into it. Like I said, like, like, like everything in my life by accident, yeah. you know, yeah, and, it's uh, funny when you talk about uh, hearing you talk about this, it's the same approach you took when you went into that studio and said how you thought yeah. the horn should go. You've, it seems like there's always this thing where you see the thing very simply. And you've talked you talk about it through the book that you're a problem solver. You see, you can figure solutions out to problems. And then it's just the hard part is hey, did you now have to jump in the pool and hand your life over to fix it to getting these things uh, well, yeah, on the table there, there, and talked about. There, there, yeah. There's two problems with that gift. And, and I do have that gift, which I didn't realize till late in life mm-hmm. of, of, of troubleshooter and, and being able to solve very complicated problems. The, the two problems are nobody wants to hear advice period <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a biggie. Yeah. <laughs> And I can't apply these wonderful solutions to my own life, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so other than that, it's, it's great, you know, but I, but I, you know, I discovered this whole other part of my brain. I can look at very complicated political situations and like, I can figure out the, the solutions to it. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things. 
Now, whether those solutions get executed, as as you say, that's another story. Yeah, we yeah, do. So but- they call that physician heal thyself, I think, is what you have to <laughs> deal with. You can fix it for everybody else, but at some yeah. point you gotta you're you got yeah. as many problems as anybody else. You see yeah, the yeah. you you see the big picture. I mean, even in these political situations like the Sun City portion of your book, I absolutely loved because you saw how all that was gonna play out and you had to get everyone on board to do that. The one thing that was really um, striking for me, I'm a huge Queen fan. And a lot of mm-hmm. the Queen books, when they talk about the Sun City performance, uh, they gloss over it in a way where Queen kind of just says, well, we didn't know. And then that's it. They move on to Live Aid um, or, you know, move on to the Kind of Magic tour. But you, your book was the first thing I've ever read as a, you know, 30-year Queen fan that said, you know, they were concerned about their position in it. When you had that meeting with Queen to say, look, I'm going to take care of this, just promise not to play there again. Who did you meet with from Queen and how did that process go? You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to remember this, but I, I got to tell you the truth. I was never a Queen fan, so uh, I didn't <laughs> it's know fine, it's very fine. well. I'm, I'm a big um, enough one it, for everyone. I think it was the guitar player and drummer, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, I know it wasn't Freddie Mercury, you know, but uh, I think it was, the, I think it was a guitar player and drummer. Yeah. And and it was a little bit more complicated than that because there was this very, very serious uh, uh, list that the United Nations was keeping. Right. Uh, and, and um, it was, it was a serious black ball. I mean, they weren't, they weren't joking around or trying to hide it mm-hmm. if you were on that list man that went out to all of the unions and uh, everybody else who was into that subject right N- not so much in america because we didn't know anything about it in america but uh in europe though the union were very very serious about this yeah so there was there was a possibility they were going to have trouble working oh, you wow. know anybody on that list was going to have trouble working so you know that was another reason i think why they what they probably met with me but I was working with the UN all along mm-hmm. and they started sending everybody to, to us. I mean, you know, they only had like one person in the, the office. <laughs> and so they were sending every, all the phone calls about to us. Yeah. But I, but I managed to get everybody off that list because I, because I, because for that exact reason that you said, I said, look, they were manipulated. They didn't know. Right. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? Well, what are we going to do? We're going to question their motives. No, let's just give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I don't want this to be a distraction. I want all of the music people all united behind this, you know, and, uh, you know, and we succeeded, you know, except for Paulie Simon, which is another matter, but, but, you know, uh, <laughs> that stuff with the photo in the book, that was my favorite part of the book. When you, uh, when you brought that photo up, uh, I was yeah. like, good for you. <laughs> but, but, uh, but it was a uh, we 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 did succeed in, in in uniting everybody at that point and and uh, and 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 they were manipulated they really were so right. it was you know and paid a lot of money you know but but uh, anyway we wanted to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and it all it all worked out well that's great hey Steve this is Pat I'm a also longtime Jersey resident and a fan of yours my dad grew us up on Springsteen and going to shows and you know, first one being the 99 reunion. Um, and from there I, I got into, into punk rock and kind of, you know, fell in love with, with that genre. When I was in college, I did a documentary on CBGB's closing down and I was, you know, we spoke a couple times on the street 
back then. And, you know, I was really just, I'm still impressed with the fact that, that you stepped up and rose to the occasion. And on the celebrity front, you were really one of the only people that in, from the rock world was saying, you know, let's, let's try to do something about this and save this place. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I always appreciated that. Um, it was, that was, that, that it was, was a tough fight. Uh, tough. Yeah, they, they, it was a shame because I'm, I'm very, very, very serious about the sacred sites of, of rock and roll. And, uh, you know, there, there's no respect for them at all. I mean, they're all going away. Uh, very few left. You know, just a few like, you know, the Roxy and, 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 and Whiskey in L.A., they've managed to keep theirs. But uh, most of the other ones are going away. And I and I I feel very strongly about that in terms of the history, and they they came to me too late. You know, it was uh, we we put up a pretty good struggle at the at the eleventh hour, but it was really too late. And we did a the, the, the we did a concert, uh, and the, the most fascinating part of the, that whole experience to me was when I put the word out that we're going to do a concert to you know try and save CBGBs. Um, Washington Square Park. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was either Washington or, or Tompkins Square Park. Uh, it was. Uh, no, it was Washington. It was. And and and, and, and day of all days. It was the day. It was the you know the the day after Hurricane Katrina hit. Oh. I remember that. <laughs> well, yeah. well, yeah, but I, I just remember you know when I put the word out, the the first two you know responses I got. Was from you know Rizza Wu Tang Clan and, and and Chuck D from Public Enemy, you know, and, and I was like, man, that's interesting, you know. And I said, yeah, did you guys you know play CBGBs? I mean, it's not what I would have uh, thought. And they were like, no, no, but but it, it just turns out that the really really smart hip hop guys have an enormous respect for rock and roll. And they, they know that that's where their thing comes from, that the, you know, the attitude and the, and the, and the rebellion, you know, part of what they do, they, they know comes from rock and they have a great respect for it. So the first, first two responses I got was, was you know, Wu-Tang Clan and, and Public Enemy to save CBGBs, you know, and, I, and I'll, I'll always remember that as, uh, as fascinating, uh, you know, and and of course, you know, we, we made a big point of uniting, uh, you know, hip hop. It wasn't it wasn't called hip hop yet, but rap and uh, and rock on on the Sun City record, which was uh, a, a big a big moment in in terms of establishing credibility for this new thing called rap uh, that the industry was trying to squash and trying to ignore. You know, and I was like, man. I've been watching uh, black artists uh, fight for their own liberation in terms of uh, their own artistic um, means of expression my whole life. You know, I watched Marvin Gaye, you know, fight with Barry Gordy and Stevie Wonder. And um, very few black artists were encouraged uh, to express themselves. Very few. I mean, you can count them on one hand, the ones that broke, you know, that managed to do it. Uh, Gil Scott Heron or, or The Last Poets, you know, but... In terms of the mainstream uh, uh, soul, R&B, rock, uh, the black artists were not encouraged to express themselves, and the white artists were. 
It was it was part of uh, the expectation of being an artist, a white artist. Of course, you were expected to, you know, be uh, Bob Dylan, you know, but they didn't want Bob Dylan uh, influence wandering into the black community, you know, which was really, you know, uh, interesting to watch. And and so here comes these rappers. And I'm like, finally, you know, these guys are. Are, are, are expressing what's going on in their communities. And I want to support it, you know, you and uh, luckily I had, you know, I had three other guys with me, you know, Danny Schechter, who was the only reason why anybody ever heard of Sun City um, and Arthur Baker, uh, whose phone book was Sun City uh, and Hart Perry, who video taped it all or, or else nobody would have seen it. That's cool. um, and that video, we were all, that music video with the rap element, I think really helped catapult it to the next level and it was really one of the earliest you know rap music video to feature rap artists that really broke uh broke through the mainstream i don't think it gets a lot yeah. of for that i don't know i know it was uh, it was it was it was really uh important moment you know when uh, jonathan demi uh did a great job and godly and cream they did the edit and they in invented the, the the ripping of the of the newspaper, you know, uh, that was all invented for that video. And, uh, of course everybody worked for free. So it was really a miraculous, uh, the entire project was a miraculous, uh, event that couldn't be done now. And I'm glad we did it when we did it. And uh, the fact that it ended up politically so successful, uh, literally bringing down the government and getting Mandela out of jail, uh, you know, uh, was, was almost beyond what we could have imagined, but we, uh, we certainly, uh, you know, drew it up on paper, and 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 that's how and that's how it worked out. I gotta ask too, in all your travels, uh, world travels, from everything that you do, since CBGB's closed, have you made it to Terminal C by chance in Newark Airport? No. It's have easy. You, have you not seen what's there? There's Terminal a Terminal C in, in, in Newark Airport. Yeah. yeah. There's a CBGB restaurant in Newark Airport. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen it. No, I guess you, you did it. You kept CBGBs alive. <laughs> it just happens to be in Terminal C now. If you want to fly United, you can swing by CBGBs at 8 in the morning, I guess. But now, now they're a brand? Yeah. Only there, yeah. apparently. Yeah. And, and, and do they have bands play? No, they they have a, a delicious smelling chicken sandwich. I've never tried it, but I've smelled yeah. it from the uh, food court area. Sure, you know, just like that famous chicken sandwich at CBGB's. <laughs> now, I wonder if the bathroom is the same at uh, Terminal C as it was at CBGB's. That'd be a bad news. <laughs> that was a rough bathroom. <laughs> yeah, famous. Legendary. Now, one of the things that also comes through in the book is your sense of I guess I would call it showmanship that you clearly, you know, how to inhabit the role of telling people a story, you're a storyteller, you're a showman also, but you're still a person. So you kind of have this, you combine those two things where you're talking about real things that really happened to you, but you present it. There's a sense of to the way you tell your stories. Cause you know how to hold an audience and you, you is, where do you think you learned that? that skill set to know it's like, Hey, I can tell a good story and you're going to be on the edge of your seat waiting to hear where this goes. 
Well, I can only think of two things. Uh, first of all, growing up when I did in, in the Renaissance period, when, mm-hmm. when things were really, really exciting and fun and colorful all the time. Um, in, in addition to having very high standards uh, as far as the quality of the work, it was also very, very, uh, you know, very, very colorful and, uh, and, and fun. And um, the only other factor I can suggest is I just can't believe how fucking boring everything is. I mean, how did, how did life get so fucking boring? I don't get it. Honestly, I look around, I'm like, man, you know, uh, it's a shame because nobody, you know, anybody who's younger doesn't, they don't realize how boring it is. <laughs> but man, is life boring, you know, and, uh, and, and, I, and I don't understand it. I don't understand why we tolerate it, you know. You know, why don't all the rich, really rich people do some fun things with that money? You know, okay, they're going to the moon now and stuff, you know, but, you know. Sure, no, but Francis Francis Coppola says the only reason you want to have money is to do something with it. He said, otherwise, money's worthless. Exactly. And I'm I'm looking around like, why don't, why isn't there more fun clubs and, you know, restaurants and and, and casinos and, 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 uh, uh, I mean, trying to build a, a, a rock network, uh, in the hard rock cafes now for, you know, I don't know how long, 10, 15 years, you know, trying to, trying to reassemble some kind of infrastructure to support rock Mm. music or or any, any, any music, uh, for that matter. But, you know, they have the perfect infrastructure for it. You know, they got a 150 of them, whatever it is, around the world. Um, I, keep, I keep trying to get them to put in a PA system, put in a stage, and, 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 uh, and, and you know, let, let bands go from hard rock to hard rock, you know. Um, you know, and, 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 and Jimmy Allen, the guy who runs the hard rock for the Seminole Indians, you know, he's, he's an adventurous guy. I mean, he, he built that very, very cool guitar hotel down there in, in Fort Lauderdale. I don't know if you've seen that or gone there yet, but uh, let me tell you something. It's impressive. You, you know, you, you, you pull up to that thing, man, you see this <laughs> 500 foot guitar, <laughs> it, it, you know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Arch- architecture, you know, you name it, you know, I mean, why, why, why can't we all be influenced by Gaudi, you know, in Barcelona or, or somebody that's got some, some kind of creativity. Why is everything so damn boring? You know? So, I mean, that's part of it too. You know what I mean? I, sure. I, I never, I, I never liked rock music um, evolving or devolving into the regular guy. Look, you know, I, I, I never liked it. I, you know, it, it is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's something that, you know, it worked. Uh, you know, for a couple of guys that work, you know, John Fogarty and, and then Neil Young kind of got into it and, and, you know, Bruce kind of got into it even, you know, and, and they, and they can, they can do that and it works, you know, but the entire, you know, the, 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 the thing about punk that was different than, than grunge, for instance, punk still had traditional, uh, traditional rules applying. They had a look, they have very, very much tied to fashion. And, and the entire rock world was tied to fashion right up until recently, you know, right up until, you know, grunge really, you know, uh, up until the nineties, 
you know, fashion played an enormously important role in in in, in all music, rock and soul, you know, um, and and it's because what we do is is one big communication. It's not just music, you know. It's not just music. That's that's you know the most important part. But it's also you know the 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 fashion, the clothes, the hair, the the lighting, the production. All of that is one big communication, and and that's why. You know, the Ramones had a look, the Pistols had a look, the Clash had a look, you know, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the Dead Boys had a look. You know what I mean? They, they, they were very conscious of having a look that goes along with the music. And that's why they were the best. You know, sure. they were the best. You know, what those, uh, what those bands so. needed would be if the, if the 75 E Street band showed up, you'd have all you'd have all those guys would have been wearing some pretty sick hats. You'd have Nirvana would have been, they would have all had hats on. No, no band ever wore more hats than the E Street band in the mid 70s. You, you guys could have sold hats at the merch table. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we went through our own, uh, our own evolution there. Uh-huh. Where'd you get that first hat, that first one that you were like, that first Miami, the Miami, like the, the real the, pimp hat? Yeah. Yeah, the whole pimp look. It was uh it was coming from uh, the basically the, the you know the, the the James Brown uh soul music guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they all had that they, they pretty much that kind of thing. And uh when you put that first one on, where you did it just it did it feel like the look showed up for you? <laughs> well, we, we were still searching for our identity at that point, <laughs> you know. We uh-huh. um we wouldn't really start locking in until darkness, you know, in that 78 period, mm-hmm. you know, then you start, you start to have a, you know, start, we start to have, find our identities, you know? Yeah. Cause to me, it's like the look at that point was in 78, it's like Bruce started to wear that jacket. It looked like the jacket you'd wear if you had to wear a jacket to court, like he had to get like one nice jacket to wear to court. So he looked like he'd being res- like respectable to the judge. <laughs> and, and like that would be his only jacket, the one he had. Like that's the vibe that that gave off. Then you guys had your own sneaky look going on. But that was a big, big symbolic uh, jacket, though. It was. It was. Oh, yeah. uh, you know. Keep in mind. You know. Like, like I went. I went and I went into great detail of this in the book, which uh, surprised me. I didn't intend to really analyze uh, anything having to do with Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up because at the time I, I did not analyze what was going on. All I was concerned with was making great records. That's it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back on it, um, I was able to actually analyze for the first time what happened in between Born to Run and Darkness and and his complete transformation, uh, his complete identity change mm-hmm. after after he had success, which is unusual. You know, um, that was a really poetic part of the book. I thought that part was beautiful because you're talking about you crack the code and then you throw all of it out. And the way you phrased it was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was a surprise to me, uh, you know, because I realized, you know, because Bruce and John Landau, his his manager, uh, would go into these very long conversations, you know, and and we didn't know really what it was about, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and so to really 
really discover that, you know, 50 years later, whatever it is, uh, was, was a revelation t- to me, you know, and I realized, wow, he went 180 degrees yeah. from that character he was creating in Born to Run, and the guy, you know, grab the girl and jump on the back of the motorcycle and let's mm-hmm. leave these, this town of losers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so, so suddenly, no, I'm staying. When you made that sense of uh, realization for, for what, Bruce's journey was, but you had your own sense of artistic growth and development. What were the realizations you were making for yourself as you got better at this and you kind of had your feet planted? You weren't a, you weren't a tourist anymore swinging by the studio. This is where you live now. Like, like, cause especially for somebody who's in that role of the, the number two, the concierge, the, the one who's facilitating and, and, and helping the vision come to life. It was a it was a pretty big question actually. Um, uh, uh, I was one of the consiglieris, you know. You know, what I mean, it, for, certainly uh, John became. You were the only one, one with the guitar. You were the well, you were the, the one with the guitar. We, we kind of had uh, separate jobs in a way. I mean, they overlapped certainly, but I focused more on the on the music, and he focused more on on the content. You know. And that's why, in the end, uh, it was quite successful artistically. I think Bruce was uh, wise enough to have those two extremes kind of working for him, you know. So um, it became, uh, you know, pr- producing an artist is a, is a big responsibility. And and, uh, and in that case, you know, it, it required... Uh, you know, two guys, uh, you know, we were, we were full time doing our jobs where, where usually, you know, you would, you would do the, you would do it all as a producer. Usually, you know, you, 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 you deal with the content, you deal with the songs, you know, you deal with the, the, the band and, and the music, you know, and, uh, and everything. But in Bruce's case, it was such a big ambition that he had, you know, to literally change music or to not change it, but, but to take his place in that river of, 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 uh, you know, the, 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 the continuous, uh, the continuum of, of what traditional rock is and was, you know, to take your place as a third generation guy, you know, um, we had, you know, we weren't expected to do anything as important as the first two generations. First, the first generation invented it in the fifties. Second generation took it to this, the highest possible level, you know, in the sixties. So by the seventies, we were no longer a monoculture. And I talk about that. Uh, we became fragmented. And, and, and so, you know, at that point, it's all hybrids. And, you know, there was no great expectation as to what was going to happen artistically. Um, and, 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 uh, and Bruce uh, decided uh, that, you know, there was, there was something, there was another evolution that could take place. And, 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 and John Landau was a very big help in that, in that. And as I talk about uh, in that, in that, in that section, how, how Bruce took all the other art forms and, 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 and was able to use those other art forms in this art form and therefore thereby was the evolution 
and his place as a as a third generation artist contributing greatly to what this art form could be mm-hmm. at a time when everybody thought there's nothing else you can add you know yeah. at that point you know uh, so that was a big, you know big surprise how do you think because now it's like obviously it's obvious the story has been told and it was, the the band got more successful and stayed and and has made this insane footprint on history but the reality of being in entertainment in the music business is like what what if it didn't go past what if it it ended with born to run and and just it, it didn't click past that what do you think your life would have been if that was if if it just didn't keep going I, I would have went back to the jukes probably. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, that's my first thought. Um, I never intended to make solo records. That, like, again, that was mm. just an accident, you know, that took place. Yeah. But um, uh, I probably, uh, that's, that's my first thought. I probably would have went back to the jukes. Mm-hmm. And you've just been kind of just a <clears throat> playing, playing the same, a similar role. Of just the of, oh, no, of like some of the big, big idea guy, the vision, like somebody who's got vision. Yeah, it was a bigger role. It, it was a much bigger yeah. role than I play with East Street Band. I was doing everything. I was writing. I mean, it you were the manager, basically managing it, writing it, arranging it. You know, I was doing uh, everything, and 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 uh, and co you know co lead singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was mu- it was actually a much bigger bigger job. Now, you know, and we probably would have went further than we did. You know, the, the Jukes would have probably been a little bit more successful had I done that. Um, you know, uh, I made the mistake of giving them to, you know, my personal lawyer to take care of. And, of course, uh, it's my favorite part of the book. You're you're dancing around right now. My favorite part of the book. You could have just released it in the, in the an appendix in the book of who still owes me money. Oh my god! I mean, <laughs> I, I took out. Um, I don't know. I I took out at least no more. I I, I took out about two thirds of the assholes of my life. You know, uh, I uh-huh. I really did, you know I didn't want, I, I I left a few just for spice. You know, well, you got to get a second book. You need you, you know, got to keep the final. <laughs> no, but, call your next book the final third. Because you know I, I don't remember. No, no, final two thirds. Two thirds. Yeah, he said he took out two thirds. Oh, you only got two thirds. Oh, you only. He's got two well, more books. Then you got two He's more. Got books. Two more books coming. No, no, no. I mean, uh, I, I, and I didn't realize it myself till you go back and start living your life. You know, one year at a time. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that asshole. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that one too. You know, and and in, in the end, I was like, nah, it, it, I don't want the book to be negative. You know, a lot of negative. Uh, you know, I think you uh, struck just you the know. right tone with it because you put enough of that in that it's a real. You're you're being truthful, but it's right. not just you settling just settling scores. Oh, and believe me, it, it's easy to make a, a, a memoir into revenge. Oh yeah, <laughs> nothing but revenge. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's the next that's, book. That's a constant, <laughs> a constant, uh, you know, temptation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, now yeah. your now your jersey's really showing. <laughs> that. No, well, I no, guess I we can do we can do final questions for everybody, and then we'll 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 uh, let you get on with your your day. Uh, let um, me mention right now. Let me let me just mention. Uh, I had a terrific editor, Ben Greenman, who. Uh, 
who, you know, uh, and, and, and great uh, publisher uh, with Ben Schaefer at Hachette, uh, you know, both of whom, you know, kept an eye on that stuff, you know, making sure that, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, overdo the, the negativity. And, and, uh, and I also, uh, I told Ben Greenman, uh, I, I just want an, an equal balance between three things. I want the narrative. I want the history, you know, because I witnessed it all except the first generation mm-hmm. and, and the craft stuff, you know, that's, what's most important to me, a balance between those three things. Cause in the end, I wanted the book to be useful, you know, sure. not just yeah. my story, you know, the narrative is the least interesting part to me. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure we got the craft stuff in there and, and the history and, and, you know, and I think we, we managed to get a good balance there. So oh, I want to, you know, yeah, thank Ben Greenman for that. One thing you mentioned. I just wanted to ask. Go for it, Mike. Do it, Mike. I just wanted to ask, Stephen, uh, you're such an ambassador for the rock and roll. Uh, if you had to give a State of the Union address in 2022, where are we at with rock and roll? We have returned to the cult that we were in 1955. Um, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit healthier than that, but, but not much. Mm. And, and the infrastructure, uh, which lasted, uh, uh, the solid 30 years, um, of the rock era, I, I clocked the rock era from like a Rolling Stone to Kurt Cobain's death. Um, that 30 year period, um, was an anomaly in history. I think we'll be looked back on as a, as a blip on a radar screen. You know, um, the fact is we probably belong <laughs> as a cult. We never belonged in the mainstream to begin with probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, um, but we're back to being a, a struggling cult and, and I've dedicated the last 20 years of my life to try and make it a, a healthy struggling cult mm-hmm. where people can possibly make a living doing it. And it's, it's been a real challenge, and uh, we 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 have introduced over a thousand new bands on my radio format, a thousand, and um, you know maybe three of them make a living doing this. You know, uh, you yeah. know, White Stripes, the Hives, and uh, uh, the Rising Suns. You know, I don't know, and not too many others. You know, mm-hmm. um, but we're always encouraging those little threads of. Uh, you know, that they, they go out there, you know, we, 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 we try to get bands in, in, into, um, into festivals, you know, or, or, you know, they find a way to tour on their own somehow and sleep on people's floors. You know, I don't know if you read the Dave Grohl's book, which is terrific, you should read it. Uh, uh, you know, Dave Grohl goes through that whole thing, which I mean, I didn't talk too much about those years. But Dave does a lot of detail about the struggling years of yeah. sleeping on people, you know, uh, you know. So that's still that's that's happening again, and and you can't stop it. You know what I mean? There's no reward whatsoever for playing rock and roll anymore. And when's the last time you heard a rock song in the top forty? I mean, I can't remember it. Whatever it was, you know, it's decades. You know, uh, and there's no, you know, there's not a lot of reward uh, for doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet a thousand bands are doing it that we, and, and that's just the cream of the crop. We play the best of the best of the best. So you got to imagine there's a hundred times that amount out there. Why are they doing it? It's purely out of passion. There's no other, there's no other way to describe it. There's no reward at the end of the rainbow anymore. 
None. So, but yet they're still doing it, which makes you want to support them even more, you know? So, so it, it's, it, it still exists. You can't stop it. It's one of them things that just, it's out there and it's going to, it's going to always be there, I think. And it's a matter of us working a little bit harder to try and establish a, a new infrastructure that can support it. My final question, uh, Stevie, is this, uh, when we chatted in 2002 on my uh, on my radio show on 105.3 The Bear, we were talking a lot about the Underground Garage, and you were so excited about the sheer number of Rolling Stones songs that you guys had in your playlist. Have you just gone ahead and added the rest of the catalog since then? It's been 20 years since we spoke. Did you just throw the rest in there? Probably, yeah. I haven't checked, <laughs> I haven't checked lately. Yeah. But yeah, that's just one of those bands that, uh, uh, well, we should say, uh, you know, in all fairness that uh, there's very few, I could count the, the, the songs on one hand mm -hmm. uh, that I didn't like from the Rolling Stones up until, you know, the first 12 albums. Right. Uh, uh, you know, and even, you know, you can get, you know, even into Go Ted Soup and even into, uh, you know, it's only rock and roll, you know, still, still stuff, you know, but, but, you know, I'm mostly, I'm mostly, uh, an exile and, and back, right. you know, and, and my favorite period is, is the first period, you know, that's, that's, that's stuff I love, you know, my, my favorite album of all time is 12 by five. Their, their second, uh, their second American album. You can always uh, gauge whether it's Brian, whether you're Brian Jones, you're a Mick Taylor or a Ron Wood, or that's always right. the giveaway. It's like, <laughs> tell me which one's your favorite. Yeah. And then you yeah. get a read on the, on the person. But I, but I would imagine we have uh, almost all of the, uh, the first 12 albums on the playlist, so, you know, pretty much, you know, there might be, there might be a, uh, it might be, you know, just a handful that are, that are not on there, but yeah. quite a few. Yeah. I figured as much. I figured as much. Yeah. Yeah. And they're the only, you know, and they're the only band we play slow songs. We don't play any slow songs yeah. from anybody except the Stones, who I, I think are the greatest, really the greatest rock ballad writers of all time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only like them and, you know, occasional Smokey Robinson or, or you know, and you know, something exceptional from the temptations or something, you know, in the soul music area, but uh, rock wise, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing, nobody compares to the Rolling Stones when it came to writing ballads, which of course they were embarrassed about in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's why they, they gave away as tears go by and, you know, yeah, but you know, no one's ever going to be tell me. You know, one of the first songs they ever wrote. So it was one of the great, great ballads of all time for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, without a doubt. Pat, do you have a question? Uh, Stephen, I, you know, I loved the writing of the book. Um, I've been a fan of your radio show for many years, and 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 you know the the historical, uh, you know, educational kind of monologues that you have written over the years and done on the show. I've learned so much from, and they're, they're so great. Oh, thank so, you. so those portions of the book, I I've really, really loved and learned so much and how they tie into your life. Um, one of my favorite lines in the book, um, and this goes to everything we're speaking about was don't take bands for granted. They are magic. And that, yeah. that is so true for whether you're seeing your favorite artist or you're, 
your new favorite artists who are discovering music live or, or whether you're playing in bands. Um, I, I think that is just so true. Um, the way, the way you describe the 78 shows on the darkness tour in chapter 12 and how you and the guys wanted to, your goal was to leave the audience with an experience they'd never forget for the rest of their life. Um, and how that was the goal coming out of this hibernation Bruce had been in at that point, you know, with, with the legality of everything and how you guys had to deliver. Um, my dad went to the Passaic theater show, the first opening night show in 78, the one that was broadcasted on radio and everything. And he had never even heard of you guys or seen you guys before that. Um, this is exactly how he described that show to me always as a kid. He said, it was an experience he'd never forget ever again. He was a lifelong fan. And he, I mean, he went out and bought everything he could after that show. It was just like, it was literally described to me as life changing. So like when I read that in, in your book, I mean, it just like, it just rang, you know, so true in my head to everything he described it as and everything I've heard. I know Tom nice. has been going deep on, on, on listening to that era as well and, and getting his hands on live shows and stuff. It's just, I mean, you know, you listen to those shows, they, they jump off, off the needle, basically, you know, they're, they're, they're so, uh, it's just like, you know, white heat. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, I guess it's, it's well, less of a question more of a, of just a, a, a statement of, of, of thanks for, for, uh, for delivering in that time. It's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a moment of music history that's, you know, not talked about as much, but it's, it's a, it's a legendary set of shows. Yeah, I think it became a little bit taken for granted after that. But but um, that was the moment. The reason why those shows were different. Well, that was the moment that, you know, we discovered substance. I mean, Bruce, Bruce discovered substance for himself. And that, that's the difference. As opposed to, um, uh, that's not really, the, I'm trying to be accurate here. Um not substance in terms of the content, which, which there was plenty of substance and content on the first three albums, but the, um, the more, a little bit more of a, uh, I would have to say autobiographical substance. I think that, that, that's what made the difference because by then we were very entertaining. You know, we had gotten very entertaining and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, the fun part of the show and, and the, you know, that the excitement part of the show we had down, but the, this new bit of, I think, autobiographical substance uh, made, gave the show just one more level of depth, I think, at that point. Now it's taken for granted now, you know, um, our art form happens to be, I think, the most autobiographical, at least in terms of, um, that's what it seems to be, you know, the, in terms of uh, the, the audience's perspective of a, of a um, because uh, the person who is writing usually and singing, it, it becomes, you know, it seems to be a more autobiographical art form anyway, but it's not really, it just seems that way because every singer is an actor, which I talk about in the book, but, but in this case, I think that the, the real substance that Bruce was going through himself of this amazing transformation towards no longer having his father be the, the enemy, 
but uh, turning into his father, or, or you know, at least at least certainly uh, having the compassion to understand his father was you know uh, was was a thing we were all kind of experiencing because of the generation gap of our generation. But there it was for, for the public to to be to be seen for the first time. So I think there was a difference. You know, there was a, there was a qualitative difference between what was happening born to run it and, and before and darkness and after, you know, that's why I, I, you know, people were surprised when I said darkness on the edge of town is actually Bruce's first album, you know, uh, they were a little bit surprised to hear that, but that's the truth is because it was a different level of, of, of commitment at that point, you know, where, like I say, you're not getting on the bike and leaving town, you're staying mm-hmm. and you're going to fight it out. And you're going to fight for the people who can't fight for themselves. You're going to fight for the factory workers all of a sudden, you know, rather than be afraid of them or running away from them, you know, uh, you know, the horror of growing up and being a factory worker was something that we all grew up with. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that hippie mentality of like, man, I do not want to grow up and be my parents. Yeah. You know, uh, that's the last thing I want to do. You know, the nine to five grind, you know, of doing something you don't want to do. Uh, it was a horror, a horror to us, you know, it was a horror. And suddenly it was like, well, wait a minute, you know, let's not blame them for that. Let's, 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 you know, let's have some empathy and sympathy. And that was a completely different, you know, frame of mind, different sensibility. So some of that, I think, started to come through. Absolutely. I've always loved Darkness for that. I always saw it as like a, um, that just that, you know, he, he left, he left town and now he's fucked. He has to face reality and it's like, it's life. It's just, it's it's one of the hardest looks at life that he's, he's ever had. And it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's my favorite record. So thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Are you looking at it that way or, or he didn't leave town? Right. You know, that's, that's how I look at it. He decided not to leave town, you know, and, and deal with the town as it is, you know, that, that takes a lot of courage. And, uh, and Bruce had a lot of courage at that point to tell an audience, thank you for accepting me and liking me uh, and liking this character I created for Born to Run. But I'm sorry, that's not really me. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. <laughs> now, I hope you forgive me, <laughs> but uh-huh. I'm, I'm about to become a completely different guy. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and fortunately, we had the we had the muscle and the songs and and the and the intensity to to make that transition. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, I, 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 I my final question, Austin, one second, but to me, it's always been that's the point where you all the influences weren't wearing you, you became bigger than the influences from, from that point onward. It just like, it became its own thing. You, you carved out your own path that you could say, we we're the only ones doing this. And this is kind of the starting point for a new thing. It's not just like, here are all of our influences and we are interpreting them in our way. It's, it's, it's just like, to me, that's why I could see why you also consider that the first album. Yeah, yeah, because like I said before, development takes time, and mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you're gonna do it in public, you know. Yeah, you know, and that's okay. That's all right. Well, here's here's why I want to ask you a final question. And again, we we appreciate you so much coming on and talking uh, about this. And the book is amazing, and everybody should check out Unrequited Infatuations. Um, so we got 
songwriter, producer, manager, actor, frontman, writer, director, activist, uh, Broadway producer. Like what is, what is one thing that is in your mind? You were just like, there's still, there's a place I haven't gone yet. What's, what's one goal that you haven't taken a crack at yet? Well, I, I don't know if I'll get around to it because, you know, at this point, you know, um, I'm limited to what I can do. I mean, that's the one nice thing about having success early and, and what would have been nice had I stayed in the band is the opportunity to do things would have been much greater uh, in terms of getting things financed. Uh, so that's the one, that's the one sort of thing that, you know, nothing you can do about it, but, but that's one of the things that you miss and, and you regret. Uh, Cause there is no doubt in my mind, uh, my greatest achievement uh, was the Broadway show because I got a chance to use everything I know. And, and um, I just, I love that the most, the, uh, the, the uh, writing and producing of a live event you know, uh, and everything that goes with it. You know, I, I, I talk about in the book, you know, I would, I would love to have been, you know, in my mind, you know, a Diaghilev or a, a Bob Fosse or, you know, somebody who, um, you know, I just, I love the whole thing. I love the, I love the, the music, obviously, the choreography, the, 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 the costumes, the, the production, the lighting. Uh, I, I love all of that coming together. Uh, and 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 uh, that communication, and I've only done it once in my life, and 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 it's very likely that might be the only time I've ever done it. Um, I, I might eventually put out. We we did we did film it, which is you know it's not the same thing as being there, but but uh, yeah. but we we might eventually put that put that thing out. Uh, you know, I just want to wait for a, a a couple of the, you know, certainly one of the scumbags to die first but but uh, uh, <laughs> there it is there's the, the, the but other than that uh, I was, I was really, uh, but that's but that's the thing I, I i miss doing and i wish i had more of an opportunity to to do mm -hmm. stage live events you know which is the most exciting thing you can do mm -hmm. and, and have all of the elements all the arts you know you sure. you know you know what i mean that's that's you know that's the one thing i, I wish i could do more Okay. Well, well, I will say this unrequited infatuations is your, all that jazz. And you told the story the way Fosse told his story. You told yours. I'm so glad you did it. And we appreciate you writing this book and we appreciate you coming on and talking about it. So thank you so much. It means a lot. Good talking to you guys. My pleasure. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. We'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Hey, take thank care. You. All right.